My name is Ricky Day, and this is Nothing to Lose But Yourself. What's going on, everybody? Good, 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 good day to you, wherever you may be. I hope you're having an amazing and a pleasant day and a great start of your week. I mean that sincerely. I really do. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. What's going on, y'all? My name is Ricky Day, and welcome once again to the podcast. Nothing to lose but yourself, where we uh we out here, y'all. We out here trying to make the world a little bit better place, one conversation at a time. I'm excited about today's episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. Good guy. Good conversation. Uh, but before we dive into that, we need to do that housekeeping as always. Want to remind y'all to follow us on social media. Nothing to lose but yourself on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, and you can follow. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Ricky Day, R-I-C-K-Y-D-A-Y on Instagram and on Twitter as well. I also want to encourage you to please, please, please go to Apple Podcast and rate and positively review uh, the podcast uh, because that helps uh, get more eyeballs on us. It helps us to share and, and spread the message of what we're doing and, and all the amazing things that you guys are out there achieving and um, do what we can to change this world one conversation at a time. And the way we do that is to, to market, to advertise, to get people out um, out there in the streets understanding and, and hearing about what we're doing and Getting featured in the new and noteworthy section on Apple Podcasts is a great way uh, to get exposure. And we do that, well, at least we think we do that, by getting more ratings and reviews and such so that people are aware of the podcast. Yo, you guys, uh, today's episode is a good one. I had a great conversation with a dynamic young man who is making his mark in the world, specifically the world of Broadway and live television production. I am talking about Cody Renard Richard. He's an advocate, educator, producer, and professional stage manager. He's got a great story, a great journey, and some great wisdom and gems to drop on us about Broadway. And he's also going to tell us a little bit about the amazing new show, Thought uh, on the color man that just opened recently on broadway so as we always do as we always do i encourage you to sit back relax grab a cup of coffee glass of wine your herbal refreshment whatever it is you do go ahead get comfortable doing it and enjoy my conversation with cody renard richard Cody Renard Richard is an advocate, uh, educator, producer, and professional stage manager with a career that spans many genres, including Broadway, television, Cirque du Soleil, and opera. He holds a BFA in stage management from Webster Conservatory, and he's worked as a stage manager on Broadway for 14 productions and is currently the production stage manager uh, for the return engagement of Freestyle Love Supreme. Other Broadway credits include Hamilton, Dear Evan Hansen, The Lion King, uh, Kinky Boots, and Motown the Musical, just to name a few. Uh, His TV credits include the 2019 Tony Awards and the 2019 and 2020 MTV VMAs. Also, Jesus Christ Superstar Live, Hairspray Live, and of course, our favorite, The Wiz Live. Cody is also a co-producer on the new Broadway play Thoughts of a Colored Man. Uh, in addition to his production, these production credits, he's also served as an adjunct faculty member at New York University and Fordham University and is currently an adjunct professor at Columbia University. That's a lot, man, in a very short amount of time. He's an advocate for change and equity. And so if y'all would help me, please welcome to the podcast, Cody Renard Richard. What's going on? What's up? It's so weird hearing my bio read out in front of me. (laughs) I know it's so odd, uh, but it's quite the bio, man. Like you have done a lot in what I perceive is a short amount of time because I don't know how old you are, but looking at that face, I don't think you're too old. So you should be very proud of uh, that work and those achievements. But before we go any further, uh, what what are your preferred pronouns? I have learned the young people have educated me and making sure that I'm clear about that up front. Yes, yes. Uh, My pronouns are he, him. All right. Great, man. So uh, how's it how's it going? How's everything going for you? Looks good on paper. How's everything going in real? It's good. It's good. It's um, it's been quite the journey, you know, overwhelming at times. But ultimately, it's it's good. I um, I'm in a place to where I feel like I can handle all the things that are coming through. 
Um, so, so today I'm going to say things are great. That's, that's, that's good to hear. Uh, you know, when we met earlier this year, uh, when I shot you as part of the Native Son Pride campaign, uh, so I was aware of your sexuality because you're a part of that campaign, or at least part of it. But, you know, how do you identify in terms of your sexuality? I just want to get out of that, get that out of the way and, and not misspeak. How do you identify? No, I, um, I identify as queer, as a, as a gay male. Great, great, great. So I saw, you know, National Coming Out Day passed recently. Did you ever officially come out or invite your family into your life? Uh, did you do that or did you feel the need to do that? And what was that like? I only really felt the need to come out to my mother. Everyone else, I was like, y'all will figure it out. Um, <clears throat> but I actually did. My mom came to town. She bit first time visiting New York. She was seeing Motown the musical. And I was going through this phase of like, I need to be more of myself and not feel like when they come into town, I got to wear baggy jeans or wear clothes that don't fit me or like talk a certain way and not take them to the places that I go to. I wanted them to get the experience that I was living. Mm -hmm. So one night after the show, my mom and my aunt was here. My aunt went up to her hotel room. I was like, mom, I want to talk to you. So we're sitting in the lobby of the Hotel Edison and my ridiculous tale was like, so I just want to let you know that I'm gay in the hotel lobby and she's a black mother. So it did not go over well, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but she, you know, through lots of time and understanding and conversations, we we're in a very good place. Um, and we had brunch the next day and like she left and it was, we worked through it, but like it was a journey. So I came out to her and then, you know, and then just started living my life more authentically. And people ask, I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, so I feel like it shouldn't be a big deal because I haven't necessarily changed. I've just mm -hmm. grown into more of who I am. Um, and that's what I tell people from home when they're like, oh, I didn't know you were. And I was like, yeah. And you black. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's a, a big deal to me. Um, so I didn't really come out like to my family, but I talked talk to my mom about it. Yeah. Quite often when you come out to your mom or a member of the family, you're coming out to the family anyway, because right. <laughs> most they all talk. We're not going to hold water. <laughs> they all going to talk. I had a similar story. I remember telling my mom, because uh, I was dating someone at the time and he's like, bro, you're really talented. Your creativity is off the chain, but I feel like you're holding back creatively. You're not writing the best songs you could write. You're not writing the, the best, uh, um, uh, stories that you could write. And I think it's because you're not being authentic fully with who you are. You need to yeah. come out you, or at least tell the people you love. And so I, you know, didn't like hearing that at the time. No, is, I'm older. This is the nineties. I'm like, nah, bro, I'm not trying to do that, man. You know, nobody need to know my business. That's between me and who I'm chilling with. You know, it's like that. I don't, it's like, really, really Ricky? Like, seriously. Right. And then you look back on it, you're like, it wasn't that hard. It wasn't I mean, it hard. probably was hard, but like, you know what I mean? I got lucky, man. My mother was like, yeah. okay, I had no idea, but you're my child. I love you. And I um, hope you don't think I'm going to not love you because you just told me that you who are you are. First of all, I helped make you. So I'm sure I had a hand in that. So it's whatever. But, you know, yeah. please be careful because, you know, HIV and AIDS is at the top of mind. And so she's worried about that. But, yeah, then after that, the rest of the family found out. Right. Time. I just live my yeah. life. Um, so Broadway is back after all that time and quarantine Broadway is back. I know last time we spoke in our little pre-conversation, uh, you were excited about Passover, uh, being the first show to turn its lights back on on Broadway. And you're working on that show, of course. Uh, how's it been so far? What was that like on that first night? And what's it been like? It was wild. Um, you know, it, now the show closed last, uh, Sunday. So I'm on mm -hmm. a different show now, but, um, but I didn't really have a time to reflect on what we were doing. Like I was saying out loud to people, yes, the first show back. Yeah, this is cool. It's just, you know, like saying all these things, but not necessarily understanding the gravity of what was happening. You know, we were the first show to come back to Broadway to welcome an audience that centered Black life in this time. Like it was crazy. And to be a part of that, like a big part of bringing that show back. Um, it was, it was a lot. It was daunting. It was overwhelming. It was exciting. It was scary. It was fun. It was exhausting. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. but it ultimately it was a, it was a big old blessing, you know? Um, so I'm very happy that that was my first experience back after, you know, 18 months of not experiencing it. 
Yeah, 18 months is a long time. And I know I have, I have friends on Broadway and, and a couple of ex, exes on Broadway. And so I know how hard <laughs> you guys work, man, and how much of your life, uh, you know, doing that work takes. So it had to be really kind of dramatic to be away that long. I'm curious, what did you and, and the cast and the production team miss most during those uh, long months of darkness uh, from being from Broadway? Yeah, I, um, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate in my life and career is that I work constantly and, you know, mm-hmm. I do take time for vacations, but I work a lot. So I am used to having a schedule. I'm used to human connection. I'm used to, you know, <clears throat> uh, having a bigger responsibility and, and overseeing a show. I'm used to all of that because that's how my mm-hmm. brain works. So, so being away from that for so long, I didn't know, I didn't really know how to, to function in my day to day life. I had all this downtime. I wasn't seeing people, you know, so for me, I think the thing I missed the most was human interaction, you know, mm-hmm. in the theater, all, all I do as a stage manager is people manage and, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff, but mostly it's people managing. So I miss that human connection. I miss like working with people and collaborating with people. So when we got back in the room, that was really special. Yeah, I'm sure it was, man. Tell me a little bit. And before we get into too much of a conversation about your career, which I'm really interested in. In my research on you, man, I found out that you grew up on a ranch outside of Houston, Texas, or that's what, that's what it says here. What was childhood like and your formative years like for you? Tell me a little bit about that. Was it Houston or was it outside Houston? And how big was the ranch? And tell me about that life, because that's fascinating to me to hear that. Yeah, I always say Houston because people don't you know, know anything outside of it. But I actually grew up in Hockley, Texas. I grew up um, on what where I was where most of my childhood was I was on we had two acres then my uncle lived down the street and he had like 20 acres and then my aunt was around the corner and she had like 10 acres so like everyone had this land with horses and cows and chickens and all of that so that was Mm -hmm. my life I grew up I would wake up have to feed the horses water the cows the calves and all of that so you know very country and my family still owns horses and so I think a lot of my upbringing, because I had so much responsibility, and I'm an only child too, so I had so much responsibility as um, you know a country boy having to take care of animals and then go to school and do my work. It really taught me how to be independent, kind of, because I would wake up, do my thing, do that, do this, you know, just the mm-hmm. value of responsibility very early on. Um, but yeah, I grew up on a ranch. My entire family are cowboys and cowgirls. I'm not going to say that my family are like, Houston legends, but some of them, you know, <laughs> they'd be out here, but they still rodeo, you know, um, we would go to the rodeos and everyone would know my family because they've been, we've been doing it for so long. Um, wow. but yeah, I miss it, but yeah, I used to, that's a, a whole nother world. Did you compete in rodeos yourself? I did. I did. I used to, um, when I was much younger, I used to barrel race to learn how to pick up my, um, my balance on a horse. And mm-hmm. then I started calf roping, which is where you take the rope or the lasso if, depending on what you call it, but we call it ropes. You take the rope and you swing it, you twirl it, and you throw it, and you catch the calf, and you jump off, you tie him. And that was while like on the back event. of a horse, right? While, while on a horse, oh yeah. So you're riding a horse, you're swinging <clears throat> the lasso around, you rope the calf, you bring the calf down, and your little black boy self is doing that. That's oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I've gone to the black rodeo, so I've yeah, seen I, it. So I'm not completely shocked by it, but yeah. I'm shocked to hear that this cosmopolitan stage manager and producer on Broadway raised chickens and cows and horses and used to ride in rodeos. That's really that's that's fascinating. I, I bet a lot of people are surprised to hear that, man. Oh yeah, like because now you know I the way I dress and do stuff now, they're like, wait, you? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and I still do it when I go home. I still ride horses and I still. You know, we'll go to some of the um, competitions, some of the rodeos and stuff and, mm-hmm. and play around. And you mentioned the, the way you dress this podcast. We, we record the video and, and, and in the future, I'm going to release video episodes. Uh, but for most people, they're just hearing it now. And those of you who don't know Cody, uh, you know, you're going to learn a lot more about him and his background in theater and what he does for a living. But understand that this brother, is, how tall are you, like six feet, six one? I like to say I'm six one. I'm probably like six foot and a half. Right. And uh, he's incredibly stylish. So he might have jeans and something regular and look like a regular dude. Well, he never looks like a regular dude, but he might look like, you know, cis presenting dude one day. But then he might have a one piece swimsuit on the next day. I mean, he is fashion. He is style. And uh, yeah, that in people's minds doesn't jive with, wait, you grew up on a 
farm and raise horses and ride at a in rodeo. That that's great. I I love that about us as people that we are so diverse in our experiences. Our American experiences are unique to us, but in many ways they're uh, common to what's been a big part of this country over the over its uh, long, slightly tortured history. Um, but it's really interesting that you do that, man. Um, how old were you when they had you working on the ranch? It sounds like they started you out pretty young with uh, responsibilities. Oh, I came out of the wound, like riding horses. <laughs> My mom was pregnant with me and still competing at rodeo. So like, it was just a family thing. Like the minute I could walk and carry something, I was carrying buckets of feed or hay or whatever. So like I never knew a time when I wasn't taking care of animals or having chores um, until I moved away. (laughs) (laughs) Was that part of why you moved away? (laughs) No, not even. I, um, I, I wanted a different experience. I was like, Mm -hmm. all of my family's here. We've all done this. I know what this is. I want to try something else. And then I just fell in love with, living my life for me. You know what I mean? I think that was the driving factor. That's interesting. So when you were participating in rodeo competitions and raising livestock, did you ever imagine a a life that included this transition to theater and entertainment production? Like, how did that happen? How did that come about? I had no idea. I had no idea that the the life I'm currently living was going to be my life. Like, I never, until uh, until someone was like, you should do this, I didn't. Even, I wanted to be an architect. I was like, I can be a veterinarian. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the the jobs that we're told in Texas that are the jobs that you should go after. We're like, oh, I'll do that. You know. And then I um I had a high school theater teacher who um I was kind of forced into the theater. I was also like uh, a troublemaker. I would talk back to teachers. I was always in detention because I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> so they placed me into the theater to um sort of make me expend some of that energy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I met this woman, Carrie Wood, who was my high school theater teacher. And she essentially was like, you have a gift at making people listen to you without yelling. I want you to be our stage manager for this show. And I was like, oh, I get to be in charge? Bet. So that kind of started it. <laughs> she planted a seed and she believed in me. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, that literally was it. She's like, you should be our stage manager. So. And what's, what's her name again? Uh, her name is Carrie Wood. Now, does she know the impact she's had on your life and career? Have you talked to her as an adult or since you've uh, been successful? Yeah, every chance, every chance I get, I'm like, it all started with Carrie Wood. And I had a mentor in college named Peter Sargent. And I was like, I I would be nowhere if these two individuals didn't tell me that I was, they didn't see me and affirm me, you know, and I tell her that Mm -hmm. every time, you know, and we still keep in touch, you know, when I was in school. And this is also which I, I know that we both had a crazy impact on each other's lives, which is wild to think. When I was in school, she didn't have any children. When I graduated, she ended up adopting, um, I think, two or three kids. Uh, oh, wow. Um, because she was like, I need this connection. Yeah, so like we we still keep in touch. And it was such a, a transformative couple of years for the both of us. I, I love that. I love hearing those kinds of stories. It's, it's so important for people to understand how we affect others, whether it's through direct interaction like that or just moving through the world, being our authentic selves and, and, and doing the things that we love to do with a sense of joy you have an effect on, on other people. And, uh, it's really great to, to see that. What did your family say when, um, you shared your newfound love of theater and the fact that you wanted to pursue it as a career and as opposed to the family business, was there any pushback or surprise or how did that go over? Well, my mom has always been like, whatever you want to do, we'll figure it out. And I think that's the way I, that's how I'm able to be so successful. Like, we were, we did not have money growing up, but I never wanted for anything. I don't know how it always showed up, but I never, you know what I mean? I look around, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's how we live versus how this person lived next door. Like, how do we, you know what I mean? And so we can get into that another time. But like, I think because of that, and when I said I wanted to go do this, she was like, great, let's do it. You know, um, I also got very lucky. I, um, I applied, my high school theater teacher pushed me to apply for the Bill Gates Millennium Scholarship, um, which covers all of your expenses in college. So I applied for that and I got it. So I went to school on a full ride. So my family didn't have to um, uh, pay financially. So I think for them, because of that too, it was easier for them to support me. I think if I had to pay for school, it would have been, it would have happened, but it would have been a very different reality. Um, But they, you know, my mom was a huge advocate. She's like, whatever you want to do, I'll support you. So, So I never really had any pushback. My cousins, some of them, and like my uncles were like, why are you leaving us, man? 
when you go, when you going up there? It's cold out there, you know. Um, yeah. But now, you know, after all these years, they're all very supportive. That that's that's good to hear. Yeah, you know, sometimes when you're going to do something different than the, the journey that others uh, in your tribe have done, they um they they want to hold you back, and it's not necessarily negative. It's sometimes it's just out of fear. We as humans, you know, our primal urges are to to be safe and to be risk adverse to protect ourselves, and so people who love you sometimes will think about holding you back out of out of fear for your your safety or your well being, but not understanding that you gotta you gotta chart your own path in the world. And thank God you uh, had the courage to do that and had a family that supported it. So, you know, pivoting to theater, man, um, one of the positions you've uh, excelled at in your career thus far is stage managing. And But I don't want to assume that people who don't work in theater uh, understand what stage managing entails and why you are so gifted at it and you're so good at it. Why don't you uh, give us a little background on what stage managing actually entails so people who are listening understand what your job really is. I will. Um, but I just want to go back to what you were saying earlier, just really quickly. Sure, um, of course. One of, the things my, uh, one of the things my uncle said to me before... I left to go to college and it's something that was so simple, but stuck with me till this day. He looked at me and he was like, you know what? A lot of people aren't going to understand you, but you just got to do you. No matter what other people say, do you go out there, do this thing, do you. And like he meant it in the simplest form is like, you know, you got yourself. But like just hearing that over and over in my head is like, right, just I just got to be me and walk in my path and everything else is going to you know, align. So that was something that he said to me before I left for college. And I was like, I'll never forget that. That um, is profound. And you absolutely do that. I mean, in my experience of looking at you and watching you and just, you know, getting to know you myself and then looking at your career, you've absolutely done that. So thank God for your uncle planting that seed in you. man. And that's a black man. I want everybody listening yeah, to hear a black absolutely. man in the South who from a fairly conservative background told his nephew to do that. that that's amazing. And I think it's important too, to understand that we're, we as black men are diverse in our expressions and how we move through the world. And, and there's a lot of black men I know that are like your uncle and I've had some in my life. So that's really, that's, that's dope to hear. What's the uncle's name? What uncle? Uh, his name is Larry. Uncle Larry. Uncle Larry, we love you, Uncle Larry. Thank you for blessing your nephew with that with that nugget of wisdom, man. So yeah, tell us a little bit about what stage managing entails. I know it's not all you do, but it seems like it's been such a big part of your career. I want people to understand the context of that, how important you are to successful productions. Yeah, so I uh, I went to college for stage managing. I went to Webster in St. Louis, and I moved here in New York with the goal of stage managing on Broadway. And then through a series of events that happened, but a stage manager for um, let's just say for a Broadway show, um, it's kind of, or any show really, it's kind of the person who keeps the show going. It's the only person in the production who communicates with every department. We're like the conduit in the middle of, of a current. So everything comes back to us. Or if you look at like a Ferris wheel, we're like the center axle, the center axle that makes the thing spin. So mm-hmm. we're constantly sending out schedules. We're checking in with the director. We're making sure that the production, um, that the uh, that the intent of the show remains the same. Um, we're calling all of the cues. Um, we're overseeing the crew and the cast. Um, so there's a lot that comes with it. There's a lot of responsibility, and I think that's why I like it. Um, I love making people feel um, their best. I love empowering people. I love watching people rise to their truest potential. Mm-hmm. And I think as a stage manager, that's most of my job. You know, you start in rehearsal. You see an actor start with this role up to opening night. So you see them take this piece of paper and turn it into brilliance. You know what I mean? And we help Mm -hmm. on that journey. Same thing with a lighting designer or like a sound designer. You know, we're sitting in the technical rehearsals while we're building the cues and I help them reach their vision. So that's one of the things that I love. It's like encouraging people and and kind of uplifting their work um, as well. Yeah, that's great. And I ask, because I, of course, understand and know what it means. But I, for me, I wanted other people to understand that because I think it's in, it provides insight into who you are as a human being, who you are as a man, that those traits exist in you, you know, to begin with. And that you being you, you found uh, a job, a career that speaks to who you are from the inside out as a person. Would you say that's accurate assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, over the years, I've learned that the more that I am able to bring myself to the job, the more successful I am. You know, when I first started out, I was like, oh, I have to emulate that white man 
who hired me, who's been doing this for years. I'm like, oh, I have to talk like that? Cool. Oh, I can't have my hair in camp cornrows? Got it. Oh, I have to, you know, dress the, you know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. always trying to mimic what I saw that was successful and sure that got me into doors that I didn't know was possible. Um, but the more and more I'm able to like bring Cody into the room and affirm other people as Cody and lead the room as Cody, I find that I'm better at my job. You know, yeah. um, which is not something that I was taught, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not something you would be taught when you think about how the world functions. How old were you when you got your first stage manager and job? Um, I was well, I started doing it um, right before I went to college. Like I did an internship uh, at the Alley Theater in Houston because I thought that I was going to be behind all the students. So I was like, I have to get this internship so I can learn before I go to school. Mm-hmm. Kind of fucked up thinking is that, but <laughs> that's um, so like I was what nineteen when I first did it professionally as an intern, and then wow. I think I got my first Broadway show when I was twenty two or three. Um, mm-hmm. I did my first Cirque du Soleil show when I was twenty one. That's that's amazing. So early, yeah, I, early, early. Yeah. Obviously, that's that's dope. I'm I'm curious. Like I would presume, given the state of the country, that there aren't a ton of African-American and young stage managers. Would that be an accurate assumption? 1,000%. Well, you know what? There, there are a lot. There are some. There's just not a lot of them currently working. Um, maybe not now. Now I feel like we have shifted a bit and, and there have been a lot of initiatives to actually bring on Black and brown people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was coming up, Excuse me. When I first started out on Broadway, I knew maybe two or three. Um, mm-hmm. And then as the years went on, I, I started to know a little more until like one day I was like, this is crazy. And I just put up a Facebook post for myself and was like, if you know a black, brown stage manager in New York City, DM me. So then I just started having coffee with people so I can expand. I'm like, who? where are they? There has to be more than the five people that I know. So then that became my mission was like, whenever I do a show, try to bring on someone new or like recommend them to someone else. And now there's a whole bunch of initiatives now and a whole bunch of programs that are actively trying to do that. But you're not wrong in your assumption is that, you know, Passover was the first time that I worked with the all black stage management team. And that was because I hired them. You know what I mean? It wasn't because it was already in place. I had never in my career, 10 years on Broadway, and I've never worked with an all black stage management team. I've quite frequently been the only, but that was the first experience I had working closely with people who looked like me because I brought them in, you know? That's, that's, first of all, thank you for being an advocate and, and bringing others in. And, and, you know, just to be clear, I, I, and we've again talked about this, I know that your goal isn't necessarily to create all black situations and be exclusionary, but it's just to give people a break, give people a chance so you can help to diversify uh, the talent that exists uh, in the industry when it relates to stage managing and other uh, behind the scenes gigs. Did you ever feel that there's a time that that was really a challenge for you, that you weren't getting the respect you deserved or needed to, to do the job well because of your perceived youth or? your skin color of your skin has that ever presented itself as a challenge for you all the time all the time i think the biggest thing for me as a stage manager because i also look young i know that i you know without facial hair i have a i have a baby face um Mm -hmm. so what seven eight years ago working on broadway and being in this role and essentially having to uh lead and and talk to people much older than me and you know answer to certain people i it was a big challenge for me to assert myself and also feel like i was going to be heard because a i'm black you know a b i'm new to this so to speak c you know i'm young so that was a huge obstacle especially dealing with crew members too who've been in the theaters for over 40 50 years some of them and they're like this is my territory who are you you know so that was a huge obstacle um and a lot of different, you know, a lot, a lot of different from a lot of different angles, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, it's a it's a growing thing. Like once you, you know, once you understand how to ha- own your power, you know what I mean. You're able to start moving a little differently. Um, and I didn't really understand that until much later, you know. Um, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. 
depends on how you look at it. It's a journey. I mean, you you get you get there when you when you get there. Um, but it's great. And if you don't mind asking, how old are you now? You're in your thirties now. Thirty three. It's my Jesus. Okay. Year. Your Jesus, yeah, you're still Come incredibly on. young. You're still incredibly young, man. That that's great, man. Have you know? Do you feel like entertainment in general and theater uh, specifically have a particular role or responsibility in helping to deal with the great issues of our time? I mean, it seems like in your journey, through your personal experiences, you've had to become an advocate as sort of an ancillary part of your job, and you've been able to bring others in, and you've been able to grow, and so you grow. The the industry grows as a result of your interaction with each other. Do you feel like theater and, and entertainment in the general sense has a responsibility to really help us grow as a society and deal with some of these great issues? Yes, 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 yes. I think that art has a responsibility to mimic the times that we're living in. You know, I think that theater um, is has the the unique part of art to where people are coming to experience what we give them. So if we're not speaking um, on what we believe in, if we're not sharing something that's going to push boundaries or make people think or like call them in into a space that they normally wouldn't be in, then I don't think we're doing our jobs. You know, I think that's the thing about theater is that there's so you can go so many different ways with it. And that's the beauty of it. And people come to experience that whether they like it or not or agree with it or not. It's art. And I do think that we have a responsibility as artists. Um, to to do the things that we believe in. I don't think that, you know, every artist has to be an activist. I don't think that every artist has to be an advocate. And I don't think every show has to speak on, you know, uh, crazy themes. But I do think that that art itself and theater itself has a responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that we all play a part in that, regardless if, you know, we're on the front lines, like yelling for something or whatever. But I think we all kind of play a part in that. Yeah. I would imagine in your, your lengthy yet young career, you've seen some great examples of that. What's the most profound or the first one that comes to your mind, the first example that you, of you witnessing the power of storytelling to heal hearts or change minds or tackle issues in a positive and productive way. Is there anything that jumps out in your memory and your experiences? Oh, wow. Um, I remember seeing uh, Scottsboro boys uh, back Mm. in whatever year that was and um, I think I had just moved here or I was here for like a year or two. Um, and I didn't know anyone on the stage. This is when I was like very new to Broadway. And it was, um, and just to see that many people who looked like me telling a story that Broadway doesn't normally see. And, and also in a way that honored our history, you know, mm-hmm. I think that was very important. And I was like, oh, theater can be this too. It doesn't just have to be the wickets. And the, you know, phantoms, you know what I mean? So that was, that was an early experience that I remember just being in awe of these men moving and dancing and like doing all these things that I've read about in history books, but in a way that still seemed very beautiful and powerful. Um, So I I remember that. And it brings it alive. It makes it a visceral kind of experience for people, which yeah, is yeah. what's amazing about theater. Cause you feel like you're in the moment, you're in the, in the history itself. Um, that, that's interesting. Um, so you've done Broadway obviously, but you've also worked on live television productions and I'm clear Broadway's intense. Your job as a stage manager, you're the fulcrum of all the activities. So that has a certain level of intensity. What were the similarities or the differences when you did, um, television from the award shows that you worked on and and as well as the live stage productions or theater productions that you've done on television. What was the difference for you? What was exciting, invigorating, different about that? What were the challenges? Well, the sarcastic answer I'm going to give you first was the, I'm going to say the money because that that was a big old difference. Um, But other than that, you know, I think it was a a big learning curve for me because the Wiz Live was the first time I had done um, anything with television. And the saving grace was that we rehearsed the show like for five weeks as if we would do, as if we would do a Broadway show. So I was mm-hmm. introduced into this this television um, realm with f- familiarity. And mm-hmm. then um, once we got on the set, I was like, well, who are all these? Like, I, it was so much. There was so much happening so fast. <laughs> all these people, all these new names for crew members that we call difference in the theater. Like mm-hmm. my job kind of switched. Like I was responsible for something. Di- you know what I mean? So it was just a big old like, 
you know, and I, um, I'm such a go with the flow person. I think that's why I enjoy stage management. I like when things switch up and, you know, so I was able to pick it up quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the biggest thing. Cause you know, I didn't learn about television in school, you know, so I don't, I didn't, I didn't know what camera blocking was. I mean, like I kind of knew, but you know what I mean? Just learning like right. who takes charge in these rehearsals and like how long, you know, this day is supposed to be and who do I go to for this and all the things, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the scale's bigger, you know, where in theater, there are a couple hundred people on the show and on these television sets, it times that by three, you know, so it's just like, there's so many more people. Um, so that was a lot. And, you know, your salary might be bigger, but so is the budget for the production. So the mistakes could be far more costly if and when there's mistakes. So there's, there's a lot of pressure. I've worked in television myself. Uh, it's amazing, but there's a lot of pressure to, to perform. But yeah. you rose to the occasion, man. Do you, do you want to do more television? Are you, did you fall in love with it? I, um, I like to go on dates with television. I'm not, I don't want to be in a relationship with her. You know, I like I like dabbling. I like being like, you're good. This is cute. And then coming back home. Um, what I love about the theater is the community. I love feeling that sense of family. And and uh, and that's always going to be my home. When I go to TV, I don't necessarily have that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think TV feels a little bit more corporate. You know, people come in and of course, there are relationships you can build, but it's quicker. It's like we're going to do this thing. We're going home. You know what I mean? It's not as collaborative as the theater in my experience. Mm-hmm. So I like to I like to go on dates with her. I don't need to I don't need to commit. Um, but I'm open. Listen, I'll never block a blessing. So if it comes, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and who knows? It might be a scenario where theater and TV get together, and y'all have a threesome. It's, it is what it is. Listen, <laughs> call me up. <laughs> now, in addition to stage manager, you spread your wings and in, in to producing, uh, and you're serving as co-producer of the historic show thoughts of a colored man um tell those who uh who don't know much about the show why it's such a big deal and a historic moment and i'm interested in your experience on and helping bring it to the to the stage totally um it uh thoughts of a colored man actually opened last night we had our opening last night which was very exciting um uh but the show is written by keenan scott excuse me he's written by keenan um uh the second i should say um, and it is lead produced by a gentleman named Brian Moreland, is directed by Steve Brodnax, um, and it stars seven black men. And that is the f- first show in Broadway history that has been lead produced, directed, written, and starred a company of all black men. That has never happened ever on Broadway, which is insane to say. Um, but the show is very powerful, and um, I think everyone should see it, but I think particularly black men should see it because you see yourself reflected on a Broadway stage in ways that you never, ever would have or probably will have again. Um, each man represents a different thought or a different part of, of the Black male. Um, mm-hmm. And whereas maybe what they're going through in that time might not resonate, what they're saying absolutely will. Every time last night I kept hearing a different story, I was like, oh, I know that brother. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Oh, or that was me. I've been in that situation. I've seen that. You know what I mean? It's 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 a beautiful. It's I mean I call it a love letter to black men, honestly. But you know, Keenan, really? you talked. Yeah, you know, he he said last night something that was very powerful. He said I don't want to misquote him, um, but he was like, I didn't write this play for me. I wrote this for black men so they can feel seen. You know, that was in his closing speech on a Broadway stage. And I'm like that if that was your mission, brother, you accomplished it. It's um, it's a beautiful piece. So, yeah, I'm so, so excited and honored to be, you know, a small part of helping bringing that show in. What are some of the emotions that rise when you when you think about the show itself and, and your participation in the show? What are some of the emotions that you feel? Because I can see it in your face as you talk about it. Some of the people that I've heard or spoken to that have been associated with it or or saw previews, they are moved. What what are your emotions that rise to the surface? You know, the biggest thing I I find is pride, honestly. Um, And I think sometimes when people say that they're proud of you or like we, we push it aside, we're like, who gave you the importance to be feel proud of me? Mm. But when I, when I witnessed something like that, and when I, when you go through something like that, I'm overwhelmed with pride because it's, it's, it's not some, I felt way more firm than I've ever had in, in the space that I've lived in, in so long, you know? Um, so I'm proud to see black 
men shine. I'm proud to see people that I've been collaborating with for years have their moment. I'm proud. Like, there's so much pride that that encompasses the show. And just sitting there, there was I was, you know, for so long I was like, I don't, I, you know, I kind of was numb a little bit. I was like, wow, this is happening. You know what I mean? It was really mm-hmm. it was special. That's powerful, man. I, I'm I'm happy that you were able to participate. I'm also really grateful that you shared that answer the way you did, because that's important. And, you know, sisters have really been focused and been doing their thing for some time now. And it, I love seeing them rise and I love seeing them achieve and, and being seen publicly and appreciated publicly for the contributions they make to this world, our country, the culture, and our lives as Black men. Yeah. Uh, but it's good to see brothers starting to rise. And I can feel that underneath the surface a lot. And I mean, even personally, I've gotten some interesting voicemails and text messages and DMs about the podcast. They're like, this is great to see you doing this. It's great to see a black man doing this. And so I sense there's a, this longing for us to really kind of show up and to be seen and contribute and have our contributions recognized. And so it's really great to hear you reflect the way you did about the show and know that the show was having that effect on people. Um, yeah. Now you, Obviously, man, you're passionate about education as well. You're not only doing the work in your professional day to day, but you've uh, uh, transitioned over and are doing some educating. How did that happen? And, and how does that feed you differently than doing the work in theater? Yeah, I, I never wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> I never, this is not something that I sought out. I, um, I loved and hated school. I'm not a big reader. Um, I don't enjoy the academic part of school. Um, but I was approached three different times to to do semesters at different schools. So I, you know, I also I, I like new opportunities and new journeys. You know, like if I don't try it once, how do I know if I'm going to like it? So I said yes, and I did it. Um, and uh, it was rewarding working with the students because um, it's it's you can see the wheels turning, and like you, it's it's amazing. Like they fill me up, like because they're so their lights are so bright. So when I go in feeling whatever, I leave the end of the class, but, you know, feeling so fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that, I, that I've enjoyed about it. I'm, I'm in Columbia right now. And, um, and it's been great getting to interact with, with their grad students, with these grad students, because they've lived a little bit of life and we can have candid conversations. And it's less about, this is how you stage management. Sorry, mm-hmm. this is how you stage manage. Um, and it's more about, how do we help you be a better human? How do we equip you with the tools to own your voice? How do we equip you with the tools to walk into a room and know that you're worth it? You know, those are things that I'm excited about. So I love mm-hmm. engaging with the younger generation on things like that. Um, um, and I kind of realized that a couple of years ago when I started to do panels and workshops with, with younger students, I was like, oh, I love this. I love getting to engage with them and kind of like impart in them very early. They're like, no you're important. You know what I mean? Um, Because sometimes they don't hear that at home and they don't hear that from some teachers in school. And I think that if you don't grow up hearing that, it's going to be harder for you to believe that, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I didn't realize I could be important or be impactful until probably 10 years ago. I mean, yeah. It, that's that's very real. And then also, I think, man, I would think for you, you know, you shared some great stories about educators who really affected you in a positive way early in your life. And now you have an opportunity to do the same thing for somebody else to, to pay it forward. So um, I would think that resonates for you as well. Would that be an accurate assumption? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that the Peter Sargent, who I was speaking of at my college, is one of my mentors. Um, passed away in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was um, huge in my life. Um, and uh, and after he passed away, I was honored by the university as, as like um, an outstanding young, young alumni. And then I stepped into pro- to being a professor. And it kind of just felt like he was like, here, you should be doing this, you know? So every time I do something like that, I think back to like, how we used to have conversations and how he would lead a room. And I would never feel like I was talking to a professor. I was talking to like a friend, a mentor, you know what I mean? So I do try to emulate that. And I find myself in ways of being like, oh, you're pulling from your experience with this human, you know? Mm -hmm. And speaking of you still pouring into people in other ways, you have your own scholarship program. Tell us a little bit about that and why you created it and, and who does it serve and how does it serve them? 
Yeah, we're actually getting ready to um, open up the applications for the next cycle next week. So, um, or which it will be October twenty something or other. But, um, but yeah, I have always wanted to give back in a different way. So my goal was to just send a thousand dollars to my alma mater and like sponsor one student a semester. Um, and I was planning to start that in twenty twenty. Then the world shut down, and I was like, I don't have an income, so I can't do that. So I was, you know, sitting at home trying to figure out what I could do with this time, this frustration, all the things that I'm grappling with, right? And I was talking to a friend and she was like, well, you should revisit your scholarship, but dream bigger. And I was like, what do you mean? And then, and then I did. And I was like, oh, this could serve more. This doesn't have to be a Webster. I can, you know, I know a lot of wealthy people who would mm-hmm. want to support this cause. And if they don't, I can be pointed in. I was never worried about getting the money, but I was like, how do I make this happen? So long story short, the the scholarship program um, is the, it's under my name. It's the CRS scholarship program. And it's for um, black and brown folks, uh, BIPOC or people of the global majority, whichever you call um, marginalized um, folks in in the U.S. Um, It's for them who are studying um, non-performance related degrees. Um, because I'm a stage manager, it's very important for diversity, you know, uh, stage managers, as directors, choreographers, um, designers, crew members. Um, so it's really trying to uplift them and find them and show them that you don't have to be an actor to work in theater. There are so many other jobs. Right. Um, so the program gives them a financial grant and then we go through a cycle of sessions to where I work with them on leadership and community building. We bring in people to do some anti-racism work and and um, EDI stuff, because I think it's important that for young Black people to receive this too, to understand what white supremacy is and how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we bring in industry professionals so they can start um, make networking and meeting people. Um, the first year was a lot. It was hard, but it was very rewarding. Um, and, you know, we, the, my goal was to just raise $20,000 and give out a couple of thousand, like $1,500 scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up giving out $60,000 worth of scholarships. So, you know, so it was great that we were able to increase that for them and have a bigger impact. Congratulations. That's, that's amazing. And, and, and I'm sure it's appreciated. So that, that's wonderful. Before I let you get out of here, man, I, I'm just curious about something. I ask all my guests this question. What is your vision? of the kind of world that you want to leave behind and what do you feel like your contribution is going to be to, to making that vision come true? Wow. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. Um, Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, I would say I, I'll answer the first part first, I guess. I think um, my vision for the world is for people like me to have greater access um, and whatever, whatever that means. I think mm-hmm. just globally, I want people like me coming from, you know, a small town who didn't know it was possible to have access to the people who went through that, who made access, who found access. And that's how they are able to, you know, yeah. Um, that's what I want for the world. I want more people to step up as role models and positive influences and want to bring people in. Um, one of the hardest, hard things for me when I was coming up as a black stage manager in New York City with the people that I was meeting, I didn't necessarily get the sense that they wanted to bring me along. They were excited that I was there. They were affirming me, being like, brother, you're doing it. But it was rarely that they gave me an opportunity that I didn't get for myself or that, you know, let, you know what I mean? So that was yeah. very interesting and eye-opening as I think back on it years later. So I want, I want the gatekeeping to go away and that more access opens up for people who, who primarily usually don't have access. Um, and I guess, I don't know, like thinking about how I, you know, help move that forward or what legacy I leave when I, when I go. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that it's just about continuing to remind people that, that, that they're worth it, that they can do anything, you know, continuing to remind people that, listen, I did it. You can do it. I did it. You can do more. You know what I mean? Like, like, 
you know, I tell my students, we, we go over our community guidelines. And there's one thing that we say that I think resonates with me every time we say it. It's like, take space, but make space. You know, mm-hmm. take space for yourself because it's important for you to be in the room and for you to take up all the space that you need. But while you're doing that, make space for someone else to come in because you can't do it all, you know, and they might not have been able to get into the room. So that's what I've been trying to do with how I work and, Mm -hmm. you know, with my scholarship and with hiring uh, new people to come into this world and working with students and doing these panels and stuff. And like sometimes it is very exhausting and sometimes I'm like, okay, there's a lot on your plate. Let's figure this out. But it always ends up being very rewarding and refilling my cup. So I think I just have to continue to move in the path that is laid before me and hopefully continuing to uplift the people that I meet. And hopefully that will in turn create, you know, a better or a bigger piece of the pie for people, I think. That's a wonderful answer. It's an honest one. And I, I believe that that's the case, bro. I think, think you're already doing that. And just by being you and, and moving the way you move. I want to thank you so much for spending some time with me today and having this great conversation. It's been great. I know so many people are going to appreciate it and be blessed by it. And uh, we appreciate you and wish you the best. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been great. This is great, man. Have a great day. And thank you for coming. Of course. What a blessing. Thanks again to Cody Renard Richard for coming by and joining us here on Nothing to Lose But Yourself. Man, what a great conversation and what a wonderful, wonderful young brother. Talk about being a light in this world. Wow. You know, Cody's journey is indeed a reminder of the opportunities that exist for each of us to show up for one another, to encourage one another, to be a blessing to another human being in a way that reminds them who they are as a child of God, gives you an opportunity to live your full humanity, and opens each other's eyes to the potential that all of us possess. You know, Cody also had an uncle who believed in him a mother who encouraged him and teachers who affirmed him. And now he's paying that encouragement forward, speaking life, affirmation, and possibility into others. A conversation also reminds us of the power of art and its responsibility to not only entertain, but to educate and inspire the best in us. That's a critical role of art, particularly in this age that we live in. You know, the responsibility of art, the potential for art to help us, help us see who we are being right now, how we're living today, and what's right and what's wrong in this world, and to give us the language and the tools to make the necessary changes and to find a way to move forward together in shared love, shared respect, and shared humanity. Art is indeed powerful. Art indeed is a tool, and it's our responsibility to will that tool with the respect that it deserves and with all the compassion and love that each and every one of us can muster. Well, y'all, that's it for this week, Uh, but I look forward to meeting each of you here again next week. Uh, We've got an amazing lineup of guests yet to come in this season, including in the next couple of weeks, a Grammy award-winning artist who sold over 50 million albums and a prison reform advocate who embodies hope and reconciliation. Until then, don't forget to follow us on social media. That's nothing to lose but yourself on Instagram and on Twitter. Also follow me personally, Ricky Day, R-I-C-K-Y-D-A-Y on Instagram and on Twitter. Of course, go to Apple Podcasts and positively review and rate the podcast. That's super important, so please do that. And remember, as you walk these streets and you go about your day and your lives, please try to do your part to change your perspective, to look for the humanity in others and to embody all the divine possibility for love and compassion that rests inside of you and indeed inside each and every one of us. Once again, my name is Ricky Day. This is nothing to lose but yourself. I am so grateful for you visiting today and listening today. And I hope that you will continue to join us as we seek to get out here in this world and make a difference and to change the world one conversation at a time. Have a great day. I love you. Hope you love me too. Have a good one, y'all.